I'm a firm believer of this. Things happen in your life for a reason. You may not understand what the reason is when they're happening, but if you if you keep an open mind, eventually, hopefully, you're going to see why those things happen. Welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen Barna, founder and CEO of Doc Working. Welcome to the podcast that talks about ways you can maximize your own potential on your own terms and prevent burnout. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please reach out to us at podcast at docworking.com. Thank you for being here today. I'm excited to have back Dr. George Nam, also known as Dr. Jeep and his wife, Vanessa Nam. They have a coaching company called Best Friends Again that coaches physicians to have better marriages and have also authored a book called What's Forever For? A Physician's Guide to Everlasting Love and Success in Marriage. Dr. Jeep and Vanessa were here on a prior podcast, episode number 145, back in February of 2022, titled Why Physician Marriages Have Challenges. If you haven't heard that episode yet, I hope you'll go back and check that out after listening to today's episode. Today, I have Dr. G. Pure to tell me about the story of his quest to become a physician and some of the serious struggles and obstacles that he had to overcome in order to achieve that dream. Dr. George Nam, Dr. Jeep, and Vanessa Nam, welcome back to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm so excited to have you both here. Thanks so much for getting us back. Oh, Jen, it was such a such a great time last time. We were so honored to be part of a, the great work that you do, and to be able to do this again is just like uh, icing on the cake. <laughs> Well, likewise, it's it's a thrill to have you guys back. And I especially enjoy talking with you because you're such great storytellers in addition to the tremendous work that you're doing with your bestfriendsagain.com, helping physicians with marriage coaching, and also your book, What's Forever For? A Physician's Guide to Everlasting Love and Success in Marriage. So you guys are seeing tremendous success with the physicians that you're working with. Yes. And I love collaborating with you. So appreciate everything that you're bringing to our community. Well, thank Thanks you. So much. Thank you very much. It's the least we can do. Mm-hmm. Well, one quick question before we get started on our topic today, which has to do with resilience and building a career in medicine. I wanted to ask what the history is behind your nickname, Dr. Jeep. Uh Am I allowed to give you the the one version that's a little bit of off color? <laughs> what what I will tell Let's you. Let's try it. Okay. I tell people initially it's where I was conceived. <laughs> but that's not and, the way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's not but, what I expected. My dad actually did own a he owned a po- owned a postal <laughs> jeep, but I was I was born after he bought the postal Jeep, but in reality, it comes from George Phillip, GP. And they were going to call me GP, but my aunt, God rest her soul, lovely woman, decided that she did not like the initials. And so she just started to call me Jeep and it has stuck now for 63 years. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> oh, I love that. That's great. Being an aunt, especially. I love stories like that. Oh, yeah. Awesome person that she was. Well, Dr. Jeep and Vanessa, we're going to talk about what your story is going back to when you were applying to medical school, where you decided to go to medical school and what happened subsequently. I really love to talk with you about this because I think it is such a wonderful example for people who are in that pre-med part of their lives. They're struggling to do everything they have to do to apply. It's such a stressful process. And ultimately, they know that they want to serve people in healthcare, and it can be really difficult to get there sometimes. So if we can start back at the beginning, what made you decide to go into medicine and what was the process for you in getting to medical school to begin with? Well, as cliche as it may sound, uh, Jen, uh, I wanted to be a doctor from a very early age. And, And my earliest memories are when I was five. And Really, what inspired me was my dad, who was a physician for 50 years uh, before he retired. But he went into family practice, and um, he it was part of his routine that he would uh, have patients come over to the house. Um, and so I would sit in this room off the side of the living room, and I would see uh, patients come in the door. He would take his arm, put him around them take them into the living room, and they would uh, talk about whatever the problem was, and he would treat them uh, in there, and uh, then they would get up, walk out. He had his arm around uh, their shoulders. Oftentimes, there were hugs, and and I said to myself, this is what I want to do with my life. There's just no... People were so happy, and I could see that connection. And I was so motivated to be able to do that for people. So fast forward, continued to want to do that. There wasn't anything else that I wanted to do. So I got into college. I went to Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia, and uh, majored in zoology and pre-med. And uh, so came junior year, I applied, applied to a number of schools, including my state schools. Did not get in. Senior year, same thing. Had uh, pretty reasonable MCATs and science average was about 3.3. And I thought that that was good enough, but it wasn't. So I was, say I was pretty deflated, probably isn't really going far enough. I had the possibility of taking a gap year, which is what they call it now, but you know, I, doing a master's in public health, but I, I really didn't want to do that. My dad found out about this school in the Caribbean called St. George's University and got some information about it. And he said, you ought to apply. So I applied. We were given an interview. Uh, we flew to uh, Bayshore, New York and um, had the interview Flew back the same day, and in a couple of weeks, I found out that I was accepted. So then I had to really make the decision. Okay, this is where the rubber meets the road. Here I am, a, a homebody who really had never been anywhere, and I had to make the decision, was I going to completely leave the country and go to school? To say the least, you know, when it came to making that decision, it was daunting, but it really... 
it's all I wanted to do. So I decided to take a step in courage and do that. And so August of 1982 came to New York or came to Pittsburgh. Very, very difficult for me to leave everybody, but, but I did. And I flew down to Grenada and about three or four hours later, I reached there, landed at the airport and really came face to face for the first time in my life, destitute poverty. I ended up taking a trip down from the airport to the dormitory and and I got started. It was uh it was a uh to say it was a big adjustment <laughs> really doesn't tell the story. Uh but real it's the best I can do, unfortunately. But I I, I learned a lot from being there. I learned how how tremendously lucky we are to be born into this country that we live in and tr- how tremendously lucky that I have been to have been given the things as I've grown up because so many of the people over there were living in cinder block houses with tin roofs and this is what they were used to. Uh, so I really... I really grew and matured, liked school, did pretty well at school. Following year 1983, the first semester 1983, not long after school started, came to find out that there was a problem inside the government of Grenada. To make a long story short, uh, Grenada was a basically a satellite of Cuba, and uh, the prime minister was extremely well-liked, but he started to see that his country wasn't getting what it was promised. And so he made overtures to, uh, to the United States. Well, those within his government did not like that. So they took him under house arrest, and while he was in the, at house arrest, they beat and tortured him. People found out about it, got into his house, released him, took him down into the center square. And I happened to be on top of a, my dorm lifting weights. And you could see right down into the center of town. And next thing I know, I'm hearing machine gun fire. I'm seeing a tank down there in the middle of town. So we kind of knew something bad had happened. And the people, uh, the Grenadians who were working <clears throat> at the dorm doing maintenance and cleaning started to cry. And so they already had had an idea what happened. So we were very fearful about what was going on. And so there was a radio blackout for approximately four hours. And then the blackout ended and the person who came on was the head of the military in Grenada who decided that the military was going to take over. And and he talked about how uh, Mr. Bishop, the prime minister and his government had all been killed that there were a number of other people killed. (sighs) And there was a 24-hour shoot-on-site curfew for anybody that had the guts to have any issue with the government. So for the next couple of days, we were pretty much confined to the dorms. And Grenada at that time did not have relations with the United States. So the closest person was in Barbados and was an attache who came over. And he tried to arrange release for those of us who wanted to leave the island, which was pretty much all of us. We just wanted to get out of there. They were not able to come to any kind of agreement. The military could not 
guarantee our safety to the airport. So that night ended. It was a Monday night. Next day, 5 a.m., I hear anti-aircraft fire across the street from where I was staying. Put up um, a mattress to, next to the window so we weren't hit by any kind of stray gunfire. The next couple of days was just dealing with that, hearing all of this happening around us, wondering whether we were going to be taken hostage by the military, which, thank God, none of that happened. And so the, the U.S. who had uh, intervened were now trying to get to where we were, which was down off the, the beach. And so later the next day, about four o'clock in the afternoon, they came in to get us and they took off from a, a destroyer that was off the coast of um, Grenada. Before they came in to get us, they fired some pretty large shells that were exploding behind us. It was an instance where I was so scared, I was actually laughing. I was not crying. I was, I was that scared. As bizarre of a reaction as that was, that's what I was doing. And so next thing I know, I'm hearing English voices, thank goodness. And so the Marines came in, got us out, flew us in a helicopter from that area under gunfire uh, to the mm. airport, and then we... We left and came back to the States, and uh, it was a surreal experience when I came back. People, you know, wanting to know my story, talking to me, and and all I could think about was the 19 guys that I, had, that I knew had been killed trying to help me get off the island. And uh, I, I, it was so somber. You know, what do you say to somebody who's given their life? for you. They didn't even know who you were, but they wanted you to be able to get off. And I said to the soldier that I spoke to, I said, I will never be able to um, uh, adequately pay any of you guys back. And so the best I could do is to try to make you understand that this um, sacrifice was worth it. And I will do the best of my ability, live my life so that these guys know what they did was worthwhile. And so mm -hmm. I ended up finishing the semester in the United States and went back for a couple of years. And my brother, who was already in medical school at the time, he said, you ought to come back here and try to apply again. So at the end of the semester, I applied. I was granted an interview. It was the osteopathic school in West Virginia. And I went, interviewed, and I was accepted. So this was, let's see, 19, 1985. And this was approximately five years after I had started to apply to school, to a U.S. school to get in. So the academic dean or the dean of students, I went to him and I said, could I get a year of credit? what I did, because we were being taught down there from professors from medical schools all over the country. I mean, experts in pharmacology, physiology, histology, and they would come down and, and teach different aspects of each course. And we used the same books. He said, I'll never forget this. He said, Jeep, we want you, but you got to start over. So then it was like, okay. Oh my goodness. 
So I spent two and a half years over in Grenada and a couple of satellite islands. And so I'm like, okay, you know, again, this is where the rubber meets the road. And my desire to be a doctor had not waned at all. And so if I could interject here, the the part that I think is missing is that the reason he didn't finish in Grenada was that he ran out of money and could no longer afford to go there. So that left him coming back home and deciding, you know, I'm out of money. I can't go back there. What am I going to do? And then he applied to the West Virginia school. And my dad who'd been helping me couldn't because I had two brothers and two sisters, one who was in medical school and three that were in college. And so I couldn't add another burden to him. And so came back, like Vanessa said, got in and was, was given that verdict by the dean who, you know, I ended up, I just had a tremendous relationship with him. So I said, okay, you know, this is what I want to do. It, it wasn't a waste. I, I don't consider Grenada a waste. Like I said, I matured. I learned so much about myself being over there and going to Lewisburg, the osteopathic school. I was able to become involved in student government and got to do a lot of things probably that I never would have been able to do, you know, constructive outside of school type of things, volunteering, and that I probably, because of studying, wouldn't have had a chance to do. So basically, it's all good. And the other thing is, if I had not have gone over there, and if I had not have restarted in Grenada, Vanessa and I would have never met. It's, you know, and I could go on, but I, I know we're trying to keep this restricted to this, but, you know, it, things happen in your life, and I'm a firm believer of this. Mm-hmm. Things happen in your life for a reason. You may not understand what the reason is when they're happening. But if you, if you keep an open mind, eventually, hopefully, you're going to see why those things happen. And I've been able to have that, that kind of, uh, been given that kind of wisdom to understand why it happened in the long run. And like I said, I don't regret any of it. It, it made me who I am today. What a beautiful story of grit. Uh, You really had to go through so much to become a physician and we won't get into the the trauma and the loss that happened in Grenada because we, we don't have time to address that. But your experience there, it sounds like even prior to any of that, probably had a strong influence on how you practice medicine because it opened your eyes to how a large percentage of the population in the world lives. Yeah, it you know, one of the things that we talk about now in uh in medicine is health equity and obviously for healthcare equity in countries like that there is no healthcare equity of anything. So I got to I got to see that and, and these the patients that I took care of over there or was a part of their care were just so ecstatically happy to have any kind of health care and to have anybody that cared about them and wanted to see them get better. And you're right, that carried over with me to when I started into practice myself. It's why I became a family doc. It's 
you know, I, I'm other people have chosen different paths with specialty, but primary care has always been in my blood. It's what my dad did. I have always enjoyed the relationship aspect of getting to know grandfather and then taking care of son, grandson, and that whole aspect of getting to know everybody and knowing people beyond what their diagnosis is and getting to know them as human beings first. That's, that's what I, you know, it's, it's what drew me to that. And I think that speaks to so many of us. It's really incredible that you witnessed that in first person, seeing that happen in your home as you were watching your dad practice medicine and that inspired you. I think so many of us have that vision of that type of relationship with patients and understanding people from a human perspective when we go into medical school. And it can be difficult to maintain that sense of purpose given some of the problems we have in our healthcare system. And so one of the things that you guys do, and one of the things that we do at Doc Working is help people try to regain that perspective and come back to that by maximizing their own potential, finding where they can have agency in their own lives. And by doing that, come back to the practice of medicine but I think what we're observing is that most of us are here because we want to be in the practice of medicine and we need that. We need to come back to that sense of purpose. So I love the story that you tell the determination to become a physician and ultimately everything you learned along the path that took longer than you expected and had some very serious obstructions along the way to ultimately come to be a better physician than you would have been otherwise is, is an incredible journey, an incredible story. And if people want to find you to learn more about Best Friends again, tell us a little bit about where they can find you. Sure. They can go to our website and it's bestfriendsagain.com. And everything they would need to know is right there on the website. We will put all of the links in our show notes. So if you're interested in reaching Dr. Jeep and Vanessa Nam, please check out the show notes and we'll have links there where you can find them. Thank you so much uh, for having us. Thank you for letting me tell this story. You know, it will be next October. It'll be 40 years since that happened. And and I was able to take Vanessa back at the 20 year anniversary where we paid our respects to those who died. So she really got to see Mm -hmm. what it was like over there, but it's, it's as fresh in my mind now, 40 years later, as it was back then. It's unbelievable story. I can only imagine. And there's so much more to your story, but I love hearing about this part at the beginning because I think it's so inspiring. I just really appreciate you both coming and talking with me today on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. Thanks, Jen. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you. At Doc Working, we're here to help you maximize your potential on your own terms and help you live your best life. You told us what you need and want, and we built this for you. Whatever your journey is, 
you have options. You can choose to live the life you want to live. We see you. We get you. And now let's get you in the driver's seat of your own life so you can find purpose in your work and everything you do and every choice you make. Top executives, athletes, actors all achieve greatness with the support of professional coaches. As a healthcare professional, you deserve ongoing coaching support toward achieving your career goals and living your best life as you define it on your own terms. We have created this specifically for you with CME credit at docworking.com. Please go to docworking.com and check out our quick balance to burnout quiz to see where you are on the balance to burnout continuum right now. The results might surprise you. Taking this simple first step may change your life for the better. And until next time, thank you for listening to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast.